Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 331. Thank you for tuning in, guys. I'm joined today by Ashley Dotty Charles, and I was so pleased to have this conversation. It's a weird one, because it's one that we had lined up basically before everything started going wrong in the world. I'd been sent a preview copy of Dotty's book, um, Outrage, Why Is Everybody Shouting and Nobody Talking?, and it's about the outrage culture of social media, how quick we are to jump to outrage and the maybe subconscious motivations, positives and negatives and so on and so forth. And we were lining it up and then the pandemic started. So initially I was like, look, we don't know how long this is going to last. It could all, all blow over. I'd rather have this conversation in person because I was really enjoying the book at that point. I'd only just started it, but I was, I was really enjoying it. And then I read further, and then the the murder of George Floyd happened. Not the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd. Um, that happened, and I was still reading this book, and it was it felt like the most poignant time and enlightening time to be reading all this. So we were like, right, well, we should have this conversation, but still I'd rather do it face-to-face. And then the pandemic was continuing on. And yeah, it's just... It, I think this is a really good chat. I really enjoyed this conversation. We did it over Zoom in the end. Um, Oh, I should mention, I've realised recently that on all the Zoom episodes, I'm shouting (laughs) constantly. So sorry about that, man. I thought it was just on the drunk cast, because originally I only really did the drunk cast over Zoom. But the reason I'm shouting is because I have to have headphones on for the Zoom conversation, but I'm recording into a separate mic. So you know when you've got headphones on and you're talking and you don't realise that you're talking louder than you need to? Um, I've been doing that for all of them, including th- this one. I've got one more where I do that. But then from now, I've started recording with one earphone in and the other clean, which I should have done from day one. I've been broadcasting and doing all sorts of stuff for years. But yeah, apologies about that. But yeah, there seems to be so many things in recent times there has been speaking out against abuse in the in the in the tattoo industry um in recent months um there's been the the speak it out movement the the kind of me too movement of the british wrestling scene just recently and it's amazingly powerful to see these amazingly strong um women and men speak out about their abusers and it's kind of it's what we talk about in this because there's pros and cons you know, movements like that, like the Me Too movement, they wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for speaking out on the internet. But then equally, there's other things that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for speaking out on the internet. There's there's lives ruined, there's suicides, there's all sorts of of dark things. So there's pros and cons to all of it. And Dottie's book really beautifully kind of analyzes that and kind of sees, researches the motivations. And when it's positive i don't want to spoil anything because there's certain phrasings that we discuss here that sum it up perfectly so i think all of us could do with listening to this right now because i guarantee all of us have had some kind of outrage on social media recently whether it be due to the government's actions during the pandemic due to the government's actions before the pandemic due to brexit due to trump um due to all of oh a quick shout out Rest in peace, Katie Hopkins, Twitter. We talk about Katie in this because um, Dottie 
interviewed Katie for the book, which is interesting. So we go into that, but th- that was before she'd been officially kicked off of Twitter, uh, which is a beautiful thing. But yeah, it's a hell of a conversation. And all, again, thank you for all the love for recent episodes. The defund the police episode that came out on Friday was one that I worked really hard on and meant the world to me. And I was nervous about releasing because it's, it's an intricate subject. And it was one that I wanted to make clear. I wanted to look into w- with an open mind rather than anything else. Rather than just, oh, here's an episode about why it's right or wrong. I wanted to go, right, here's, I think this seems right, but I've got my doubts here and I've got my doubts here. So I I talked to Professor Alex Vitale and Dr. Adam Elliott Cooper, who are experts on the subject and have been studying the subjects and the causing, the causation and and results and surroundings of subjects for, for, for years. So I was really pleased with that. If you missed it go back and give it a listen me and dotty talked briefly about john ronson in this i did two episodes with john ronson way back in the in the archive so they're well worth a look who else i don't think we talk about anyone else we might touch on i re-released the killer mike and a carla episodes recently because they seemed appropriate but um, yeah anyway let's get into the podcast as said you 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 can pre-order Dotty's book now and I can't recommend it enough I smashed through it during these strange times it's a really enlightening one whether we think we're doing everything right on social media or we think we're doing everything wrong or we're not sure it's really worth a read because there were certainly things I read that made me go all right maybe I need to adjust that and there were certain things that made me go ah I've been doing that you know I'm I'm but on so i'm not saying it's a book that's going to make you feel bad about your, <laughs> your your practices a lot of it will probably make you go yep fucking right that's what i've been doing that's my approach but yeah it's worth a look so yeah let's get into it um i don't think there's anything else i need to particularly tell you about as said l- love respect and support to everyone speaking out in this strange time in british wrestling love and support to everyone who has been speaking out in the tattoo industry. Love and support, obviously, to everyone with the Black Lives Matter movement, with all that's going on with that. The Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Lives Matter sentiment. Again, I won't go into it now, but those are two potentially two different things. There's an organisation and there's a, a sentiment. There's some that may back one that don't back everything inside the other. But I, you know, big love to everyone fighting that fight essentially um yeah i think that's all i need to tell you next week i've got a great chat with papa Do, who has been a key figure in my lockdown despite the fact that we'd never met until we had that conversation um he was in a show called gangs of london he is is in a show currently on tv which is possibly the best thing the bbc has ever done or done in a long time called i may destroy you i recommend you watch that it's on iplayer it's astoundingly good his hamlet is also on iplayer um, which is mind-blowing so yeah he's really been a theme of lockdown for me so it was cool to to get to chat and hang out on on zoom so that's next week but yeah this is episode 331 of the distraction pieces podcast with ashley dotty Childs. Distraction 
opening up my notes and putting my phone on airplane mode because I always forget that. Um, I'm joined today by Ashley Dotty Charles. Um, We lined up this podcast based around your book that discusses outrage and how we use it on social media and the variation of impact and motivations. Uh, We lined it up about a month ago and it has been a month that has seen me change the intro and the focus on a fucking daily basis because it's been ahead of a month or two. So before anything else, how are you? <laughs> you know, Do you know what? It's, 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 it's been a turbulent time. Yeah. Um, it's both an empowering and an exhausting time to be black. Yeah. In Britain right now and, and in America and around the world. But, um, you know, I, I do find hope amidst this sort of uprising that's happening. So, yeah, um, yeah slightly more empowered than exhausted, but it does, um, it does flip-flop between the two. I was going to say, it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because um, there's a few things. Before the the all of the Black Lives Matter um, activity, I guess, I don't know what to call it, there was all sorts of stuff around the pandemic. And selfishly for me, it made it perfectly timed because I was just in the midst of finishing off your book, which is all about how we conduct ourselves online and how we get drawn into outrage. So kind of first of all, how has it been finishing a book on a subject like that and then seeing constant f- further chapters essentially unfold every day in in front of your eyes i think it just it it reaffirms the need for a book like this yeah. i think the reality is this book could have come out a year ago it could come out now and sadly it could probably come out next year mm-hmm. and the year after that and still feel like a new book because we are kind of in this perpetual state of, of outrage. And though the case studies may change from year to year, from month to month, I think the sentiment remains the same. Um, but what is what I take away from the, the, the movement that we are, we are seeing now, um, some are seeing it as participants, some are viewing it as allies, some people are just watching it um, unfold. Mm. What we are seeing is an impetus that we haven't seen for a long time. And I think it shows how moments of outrage, if they're followed by action, if they're accompanied by impetus, they can actually really lead to change. And and that's what makes me hopeful. That's one of the things that's been absolutely fascinating. I guess the two recent case studies that aren't addressed in the book because they've happened post the book are comparing the outrage to Dominic Cummings to the the murder of George Floyd and one of the things you say quite early on in the book is that social media will present itself as an outrage outlet but it is in fact an outrage pacifier in in many ways and allows us to have that moment of outrage without any actual result I did a post just after George Floyd had had been murdered uh, let's not beat around the bush um I did a post saying, look at the reaction, the burning down of cities compared... And people are, in Britain are turning their nose up at it at times. And I kind of said, you've got to bear in mind that a week ago, we were close to rioting because a posh bloke went to a castle. And that is oversimplifying it. And obviously, it's a far more complex issue than that. But I think it really illustrated the 
the outrage to Dominic Cummins was trending everywhere, was on everyone's lips. The outrage to the murder of George Floyd, it was trending everywhere, it was on everyone's lips, but it went further than that. It was on the streets and action, it it, it made itself un, unignorable. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, and it, it's a fascinating comparison because all of that outrage over Dominic Cummins, what has been the actual impact? Obviously, we can argue that come election time, blah, blah, blah. But we've seen how elections are in this country. There's new news. There's new spin. We forget about a week ago, let alone six months ago or a year ago. So, yeah, how have you Precisely. felt kind of watching that? I think you you make a great point in that there is this sort of policing of outrage and there's sort of there's classism when it comes to establishing what is and isn't worthy of yeah. our outrage. The bottom line is... What one person deems worthy of outrage will differ uh, immensely from what another person deems worthy. And it's kind of, it's your own responsibility to ensure that what you are getting outraged about is something that you view as worthwhile. I think Mm. the point you made about Dominic Cummings and it kind of being a fruitless moment of outrage is, I think there was never a clear ambition beyond Dominic Cummings losing his job. Right. Mm. And I think we need to be so much more ambitious than that in our outrage, which is why it's important for me to say this book isn't about why we shouldn't be outraged. Um, It it shows how frivolous and how ridiculous our outrage can be. But it is about being effective in our outrage and channeling it and using it and looking for a return on our investment. Because, look, exerting yourself and being loudly and continuously outraged takes its toll it's an investment there's no use doing it if all you want at the end of it is for a guy to get sacked Mm. and he doesn't he doesn't get sacked you move on i think what we're seeing with the black lives matter movement it didn't stop at let's get these um policemen arrested it's bigger than that it's recognizing that this is a bigger issue we're not as i say in the book you're not it's not about pulling at branches it's about cutting down the tree yeah and i think why this feels like such a movement is because, look, black people could have been pacified once the uh, officers were arrested. It could be like, look, we're dealing with it. But actually, in this instance, what what makes me find hope is that people are recognising, no, this is symptomatic of wider systemic racism. This mm. is this is police bias on a on a grand scale. This is prejudice. It's it's a myriad of, of, of issues which are all rooted in racism and we need to we need to dismantle that whole system. Yeah. And there and there will be, you know, an uprising until we start to see a return on our investment. And I think just sometimes we, we don't have that impetus behind yeah. our outrage. We're kind of like it, it it becomes a sport. I think the Dominic Cummings being dragged on, on Twitter and in blog posts and in think pieces, it kind of became outrage for sport yeah. because there wasn't a real there wasn't like we, there's going to be an uprising here until politicians are held to account and are forced to follow the same guidelines that they impose upon us it didn't it didn't go beyond dominic cummings and therefore it petered out and died and i think if our outrage is ever going to change the world which it has done so well in the past yeah. outrage is the reason why we have been able to progress as humanity. You know, suffragettes, civil rights movement. These are just 
incredible the, moments of I outrage. Mean, I mean, the Stonewall riots are, are exactly. a prime example. They were actual riots that caused change in law and... Yeah. Exactly. And I think the, the more of that, the better. It's the kind yeah. of fickle, frivolous outrage for sport that is really um, undervaluing our expression. I think you're completely right. And the outrage for sport is also, as you've said, kind of outrage without an end goal laid out at the start. And it means that we can be so easily manipulated. And we've seen it. The kind of anger at Dominic Cummins was that he broke lockdown. He put everyone else at risk and we were being kept in our homes. And rather than him getting sacked, what we got was a loosening on the rules so we're all putting everyone at risk that should be the opposite of what it is the actual result was oh now we were angry he put a small area at risk with his his entitlement and the result that they spun it to be was that we're breaking down lock or we're breaking lockdown earlier than other countries despite higher death rates and yeah. it, it's so easy for those in power who aren't caught up in this social media world to step back and it's, it's, I mean, it's literally Dominic Cummins' job to, to step back and go, right, how can we... How do we steer re- this? <laughs> ...readjust this to make yeah. it what we want? And it's, it's, it's been a prime example of it. I think another thing you touched upon really early in the book, which I loved, was the limit on the impact of our outrage. And I've always kind of argued this with ch- ch- a charity as well. I, I mm. get hit up on social media a lot to help this charity or push that charity. And I found early on... I would accept all of them and I would see that I had impact on none of them. Whereas if I chose two or three things to back a year, I could have some kind of impact and some kind of thing. And I think it's similar with outrage. If you are just going from outrage to outrage to outrage, it's just part of the daily diet. It's a quick look on the socials. Oh, they're angry again. And then on with your day rather than drawing anything more out of it. Yeah, we. I mean, look, we spread ourselves so thin, and your your charity analogy is is the perfect one, because you give you know a bit here, a bit here, and a bit there. It's in no way compares to if everybody focused on one or two charities yeah. and put their focus in those. The charities would feel that that benefit, and it's it's a real shame that in an attempt to keep ourselves abreast of everything because quite a lot of this is is us just trying to keep up with everything which yeah. social media kind of forces you to do in an attempt to keep up with everything we spread ourselves so thin the conversation changes day by day on social media something that is trending in the morning won't necessarily be trending in the evening may not even be trending two hours later mm. and by allowing ourselves to be pulled with that tide as it goes in and out and as it moves from from topic to topic we make no impact because we do not put uh, our focus on anything for long enough to see change if you look at those big moments in history again we're talking apartheid we're talking women getting the vote we're talking look the abolition of slavery we can go we can go really far back mm. these aren't battles that were won overnight mm. you know for some reason, we seem to think that we we tweet about something once uh, and move on to something two days later, and that that thing we tweeted about on Monday is going to see a change. It it it's not. It's it's Wednesday, and you've moved on to something else. Yeah. And I think that 
is a big part of our problem. The internet is so fast paced. And because the internet is our, our platform for expression, we are trying to move at that same pace. And it means that things can just go um, sort of unchecked because yeah. if you're, if you are Dominic Cummins and Boris Johnson, you can kind of sit back and rest assured that they're not going to be talking about this in two weeks. And yeah. it is, it's a get out of jail free card every time we give people time. We, they know if our transgressors know that all you've got to do is sit back and let it blow over. It's what many PR people will say to their clients when they're caught with their pants down. It's, it will blow over. Yeah. You know, and we need to kind of get back to that old school way of being outraged, which is no, it won't actually blow over. Yeah. You know, a month will pass, three months will pass, six months will pass, and we're still going to be on your case about and, this issue. And we just don't do that enough. And and all of this isn't theory. It's provable. We've seen a president get elected on the idea that my transgressions will blow over. We've seen, speaking on the on the focusing on charities, we've seen the, the, the Minnesota bail fund five days after George Floyd have to say, stop donating. Like... We, we, we're covered now we were these nobodies you know <laughs> six weeks ago no one cared about us now we've got donations from all over the world uh, we've got this and even on the focus of stuff and this is something i can't speak on lows because it's happened within an hour of this conversation starting but marcus R- rashford writing a clear open letter to say what is unacceptable with the government's choice to remove the free the free meal t- tokens or investment or fund yeah. for for children during the, the summer, the government have changed it, and they've said yeah. we will continue it. That these are all examples of not just shouting into the wind, I guess, and not just just raging. There's there's a quote. There's a film called The Battle of Algiers, and it's one of my favourite films. It was made just after this civil revolution there, and loads of the people in the film played were part of the revolution. So it was a really yeah. weird emotional thing. And there's a quote in it. I'll butcher now. It says that. To start a revolution is hard. To, uh, uh, to sustain a revolution, harder still. To uh, to win a revolution may be hardest of all, but it's only once we've won that the hard work really begins. And I, th- I think that's something that we miss hugely on social media. We have our two weeks of Black Lives Matter and we move on. And, I mean, that's, again, to say I've been urging friends of mine to take a breather because... As you said earlier, it is exhausting for for a million times more for black people, but for for anyone who's an ally, for anyone who's pushing. And the fact is, this isn't a sprint. So Absolutely. we we can't put everything into it for two weeks, burn out, and then quite fairly say, "I can't do this. I need to, to step away from this." We need to take these these breaks so that we can continue to make this a sustained fight. Whether because again, because for black people, it has to be. You exactly. have no choice in this. It's a sustained fight, or it's a sustained issue it's until a, it's, it's solved. A, this is a, a a a real test of endurance. Yeah, and I think it, that that can be applied to anything that warrants our outrage. Look, if you if you fall out of rage as quickly as you fell in, I think that shows that it was not warranting of your outrage in yeah. the in the first place. Systemic racism has outraged me for as long as I can remember, but. A, a Piers Morgan tweet may have outraged me for 24 hours at best. And yeah. I think we need to recognise that and use that to shape 
our pursuits uh, of change because when we're outraged we should be looking for a change but often we're not and I think if we ask ourselves if every time we're a bit outraged we sit back and we say what what do I want to get out of this what's my what's my goal what's my aim what what would I like to see at the end of it? If you can't articulate that, you are engaging in an empty bit of outrage. Mm. And I yep. don't say that from a, a, a position of holier than thou. I've done it. I think that's why I was able to write the book. I have been guilty of this. You yeah. know, you, you sit on social media, someone says something a bit wayward and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one. I'm going to be the social media vigilante um, that brings them down a peg or two. But... It's just so ineffectual. And if, if I allow myself to engage in that way, if I allow myself to go to the point of outrage, even for tiny transgressions, my outrage is devalued when I try to use it on something impactful. And mm-hmm. I think we see this all the time. There are, I, for one, follow some people that are outraged day by day. And they'll be outraged by something that Kim Kardashian has done. One day, then they'll be outraged by something like sugar tax, and then they'll be outraged by Dominic Cummings, and then they'll be outraged by something which is so worthy of outrage. But I'm, you've now gone to outrage as your default setting, so I don't recognise that as a spike in mm. your behaviour. So how do I respond to it? If it's yeah. like outrage, should be a disruption. Your, if your constant state is outrage it's not a disruption it's just a continuation of your usual form of expression and and i think again we need to rethink that because if we're just constantly like if your wife is constantly annoyed at ridiculous things and one day she's annoyed at something major you're just going to treat it in the same way uh, as you did when she was annoyed about you loading the dishwasher wrong because you just you're just annoyed you're constantly annoyed so i don't need to tackle this thing because yeah. it will be something else tomorrow, as opposed to if you <laughs> if you had a really peaceful relationship, other than when st- some big issue arises, you know you need to tackle that issue because whoa, wife's mad, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, as, yeah, yeah. As basic as that analogy is, it's it's kind of what we're doing. We're just allowing outrage to become our default setting. It's just a, it's just our base level expression, and therefore there's no shift when when the time really needs it you know and and we proper hunt for outrage as well now like i think a, a great like as you were saying about selecting when you get angry i think if you see something trending on twitter and you click on it and you have to go through more than 10 tweets asking why it's trending just walk away you don't need to know it's clearly not that important because you will have heard about it and mm. but you that's what we do now we scroll through these things and we try and and find the next thing to get f- 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 furious about, I guess. We do. And you know what I've, I've noticed, and I noticed while writing the book, so often uh, we are outraged by things we didn't actually see, right? So we're out, and sometimes it's, it's, it's a necessary. It's necessary that something is shared and that awareness is built. Take George Floyd, for example. It kind of, it needed graphic mm. violence to be shared to kind of, shake people into action but there are times when uh, people will be angry about an article from a newspaper they don't actually read or they'll be angry about something that was tweeted by someone they don't actually follow it's it's made its way onto their 
into their sort of their realm and they're responding to it, which means you are you are seeking out outrage. Yeah. And we we don't give ourselves uh, enough credit for how much power and control we have over our own experience, which is why so often we are responding to things just because everybody else is talking about them, you know? Yeah. And I think it's we do ourselves a, a real disservice. I, I completely agree. And you articulate that perfectly in, in the kind of the first story in the book over your almost initial feeling of responsibility to be outraged over a young black boy wearing a t-shirt in a in a a, a promotional campaign or was it for gap or for i can't even remember h&m for h&m that said coolest monkey in the jungle or something like that coolest monkey in the jungle is what it said yes um i talk about it all the time but i think one of the things that social media has removed from us is our our openness and ability to to gauge nuance right it's completely Absolutely. it's completely reasonable to say ah that probably that on on reflection that probably isn't great again another example you give is danny baker's comments after the new royal baby both of those situations you can kind of look at and go i'm fairly sure that this wasn't intended maliciously or hatefully or indeed racistly i can acknowledge it's not it's not great let's do something about it but does it have to be this push to to tear it all down do you know what with with just to jump in on the danny baker thing my point my point with with using danny baker in the book actually was it wasn't to excuse his tweet or to sort of provide some sort of context for how it could be read differently my my issue with 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 the danny baker situation beyond the very serious racist subtext mm-hmm. in his tweet was actually his response to it i that actually was, take yeah. issue with danny baker's response to it because he says the world's gone mad and you're all pc and look what you've done you've got me fired is his response i'm paraphrasing these aren't his exact words completely um, it was, i mean there was also a a a, a a feigning of ignorance to the idea that yeah. it could be and that's the thing that that got me with it and I've been a fan of, of Danny Baker for years but I also used to eat in the same cafe in, in South London with him and that's an area that has had years and years of racism he's a Millwall fan and I'm a Millwall fan we've seen racists yeah. so for him to then claim he couldn't see how people could misinterpret that that was I completely agree it was on that point it's like ah man now you've done now you've, you've, you've fucked it up. If you'd come out and said, yeah. oh, shit, no, you're right. Genuine yeah. apologies here. But I think that's we've created that climate. So in, in, in the chapter where I talk about Danny Baker, I say, look, Danny Baker is able to turn around and say, look, the world's gone PC mad and I can't even be funny anymore because look at the world you've created. What we do by being outraged um, incessantly is we give people like danny baker when they when they are caught out we give them um a reason to not be held accountable he can he is able to appease himself by saying it's not me it's all of them and Mm. we've created that climate by being so outraged so incessantly that people don't need to be held accountable they can just say well look at the world look they're angry all the time aren't they i'm I'm just the latest victim of it and it means that there's no as i as i've said before there's never really a return on, on the investment because we're just kind of creating a world that is in a constant state of outrage um, and we're, we're never moving the needle at all. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And so one of the things that was, I guess, the starting point of the book was the article that, that you wrote. And you speak in the book about having concerns about the headline that was obviously written by an editor that put your gender, your race and your sexuality at the forefront of your opinion. And you you said mm. you've kind of felt uncomfortable that there'd be a backlash. But I think it's fair to weight opinions with these things at times. I think everyone is allowed an opinion, of course, but those more experienced in a subject should have weight put on their opinion more. Does that make sense? A sense um you've got a- I, get, I, I get it completely i think um just I, I i think this is is kind of the point you're making which is look if a white middle class man perhaps right-leaning perhaps a tory were to turn around and say everybody calm down and stop being so outraged oh, 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 oh i was even kind of go on almost the opposite side of that of of John Ronson, who is a friend I've had on the podcast. He's got a quote on your book I about how good it is. Yeah. But he is, regardless of his wonderful outlook and wonderful research, he will be coming at it from someone who has lived their life as a middle-class white man. Right. You know? and, and, so, and you can turn around and say, well, you know, the things that, that a lot of outrage seeks to change are things maybe that you haven't experienced. You yeah. know, the systems that benefit from misogyny from look from from just racial bias they don't impact you if you're a middle class white man you know the yeah. classism racism these things aren't uh, uh, leveled at you so the the systems the infrastructures actually benefit you so there's going to be a great degree of cynicism if you turn around and say what have you actually got to be angry about whereas yeah. <laughs> when i somebody who is a black i'm a woman i'm i'm gay i come from working class parents when i say you know look i've encountered uh, systemic racism i've encountered misogyny misogynoir i've encountered homophobia if i can say let's have a sobering moment (laughs) maybe it's like oh shit maybe maybe we do need to have a sobering moment if somebody who on paper has every right to be perpetually outraged um is sort of saying let's take a step back and analyze um, the impact and the effect of our outrage. I think, um, or I hope that people are willing to give that message the time of day. Yeah, yeah, completely. But again, it's 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 also it's such a confusing, again, it's, it's such a nuanced a subject, right? But because I've seen a lot of people talking recently with everything that's been going on since George Floyd that. There's a backlash when people in the black community speak against some of the reaction. But I think that backlash comes because so many white people will ignore all the researched and passionate black people who are supporting change, supporting a push. Mm. And again, on varying levels of reaction, they will ignore that. But as soon as one black person says, look, let's maybe chill out a bit. See? They'll, yeah. they'll hold them up as their example to to, yeah. to justify all their um, yes. biases, I guess. Oh, I'm so glad you bring that up because it's even a fear of mine because yeah. you see it with, there are sort of apologists out there yeah. who are like, John Barnes, for example, yeah. who are like, do you know what? Uh, and they kind of are, are trying to appease the masses 
by stifling the expression of minorities. And there are people who will there are people who will read my book selectively and just pick out the bits that say, did this warrant outrage or um, do we need to have a sobering moment or should we take a time out? And you can take those bits in isolation and kind of use them to fit an agenda that seeks to kind of keep things as they are you know, that seeks to perpetuate uh, these really damaging um, infrastructures and these institutions that are quite oppressive. You can take bits of, 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 of what I say, um, use them in, in isolation and say, look, look at this person. She's one of you. Yeah. And she's saying you've all gone mad. But in, in truth, in, in the book in its entirety, as I say, is not about being less outraged it's about being better in your outrage i don't want people to read my book and say oh do you know what maybe i should maybe i should let things go or let things slide i want people to read my book and say do you know what i care about that and i care about that and i'm going to make that my life's work and i and that's the goal of the book to to make us better ragers it's why it's felt so weirdly serendipitous with the, the timing because that has completely come across there were certain yeah. things at the start of the pandemic that, that i thought you know what if i tweet about that it's performative outrage it's just because i know it will get shared a lot and all these other things that that come into your mind if you've got any level of followers or a little b- b- blue tick or any of that nonsense and then when the george floyd stuff happened the anger and outrage was not dampened at all at no mm. point did i go well you know I've read that book and it said that we should all chill out a bit. It wasn't that at all. It was saying, right, no, yeah. this is the exact point. This is, this is, this is when thing. we needed it. This is what we this were holding is, off for. Yes, exactly. And I think um, I'm so glad that you felt. I'm so glad you felt that way yeah. because that's exactly what what I hope this this book can instill in people. It's it's not to chill out by any means. We can't we can't afford to chill out. The world has got so much, like there's so much more work to do. Yeah. before we can even begin to think about chilling out. It's about where we uh, sort of exert ourselves. And I think um, lockdown's a great example because we've seen these temporary bits of outrage. You know, there was outrage about Dominic Cummings. There was outrage about um, how much Mark Zuckerberg donated and what mm-hmm. portion of his wealth it actually was. And if he could be doing more uh, to help in, in the battle against COVID-19. There was outrage at... Um, celebrities showing off their gardens and not reading the room and recognizing that a lot of their followers don't have the luxury of a garden in lockdown. And there were all these little pockets of noise, these tiny little uh, fickle temporary instances of outrage for sport. And then you see the swelling when everybody parks all of that shit, right? In, In the wake of this, this huge, watershed moment that black lives matter um is having at the moment everybody is kind of parked of a ship and you're seeing what a collective voice can do mm. and how it forces change and you know in in the days after the the first protests and it, it when it wasn't quieting down in america you saw uh, like the, the the mayor of new york pledge that they were going to you know funnel funding out of the police force and into schools um with george floyd you saw it go from 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 one arrest to four arrests you saw with the case of another woman called breonna taylor 
whose uh, case um, kind of got a renewed spotlight on, under the Black Lives Matter movement. A, a law was brought about um, yeah. in, in light of it. And it shows what sustained collective outrage can do. But it, so we but, do but it to, also shows how... It. Yeah, it also shows how sustained is key there because a law was brought in, but the people who killed her were not, are still not been charged or exactly. arrested. So it which is that is kind why, of it's like, don't, which is why don't, you can't don't stop get saying distracted. Her name. Yeah. yeah, you can't stop saying her name. The fight doesn't stop because this is this is a small victory, but there is still so much ground to to cover, and that's what kind of goes back to what you said earlier. It's a, it's a test of endurance, as you said. It's not yeah. it's not a sprint. Yeah, I, th- I think as well, it's it's not a case of just ignoring things. It's just deciding what to get outraged at and exactly. what to laugh at. Like like the Imagine video at the start of... Oh, of, of, God. Like, just laugh at it. Allow it, mate. It's it's kind of that they're idiots. They all look stupid. We don't need to get out. Like, we don't need to get genuinely fired up over this. Um, yeah. And oh. so many things at that start of, of lockdown that, that was causing so much outrage. And you're like, man, just let's just... Let's laugh that one off, and we'll we'll wait until we're really needed to to kick off over this stuff. And I think we need to ask ourselves: the Imagine video is a great reference point for this conversation <laughs> because I think we need to remind ourselves that our view isn't always needed. Right? We're 100%. always we always kind of want to sort of throw our opinion on the pile, uh, mm-hmm. but the reality is. At times, we're not adding anything new or of note yeah. to the debate, yeah. right? The Imagine video, I think, and I think I actually saw it a bit late. I think I saw it maybe sort of 12 hours later, um, sort of after the conversation. But people were still very much talking about it. And I was like, all right, we've, we've established that this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, we recognise that this is absolute nonsense and it's a farce. And it shows how detached celebrities are from reality. You, the following day, still retweeting it with your little hot take. Is it's in what way do you feel you've moved that conversation along? Yeah. You know, in yeah. what way do you feel you've you've sort of added anything? Is is, yeah. is your v- view just completely ineffectual? It often is. I talked about this with Rutger Bregman a while back because I think that social media is to blame for the amount of fucking ted talks there are because i think (laughs) i think say 10 years ago we all got told it's really important to let people know what you had for breakfast and where you are at lunchtime and stuff like that and it's built up and up and up so that we do feel our take is always important and it really isn't it's it's like i i've had loads of people hit me up during some of the pandemic thing and, and and a lot of the george floyd stuff to say Oh, it's good to see. It's always oh, it's, it's surprising to see you speak about politics or speak about these things. And I kind of have to say, look, I've written like three songs that get used at, at protests. It's some of my, my, my proudest shit. But I had that thing about five, six years ago, as you said there, that I decided to question each time if I'm adding anything, mm. if I can actually add any insight, and if I'm not, again, if it's if there's some outrage that's about what's happened to white spoken word artist from Essex I'll be at the front of the line to say yo I've got I've got I've got the take I've got the insight but if it's not I go right has someone else said it better and then you know retweet that 
rather yeah. than 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 add my take on. But or... we want we want the like it's look it's very easy for me to say why do we do this and there's no reason to do that. Look, there are so many many reasons why we do it. Yeah, like it 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 feels great. It feels great when you sum something up in a, with a great hot take and it gets loads of retweets. It's nice to kind of get that recognition of being like, oh, do you know what, Dotty? You you sum that up. That was great point. What we don't acknowledge enough is that sometimes being outraged, being outwardly virtuous feels good. And that yeah. is, it's a huge motivation, right? When you, when you say something about, uh, we'll continue on with Dominic Cummins, because I think he's a, he's a great uh, example. Yeah. You say something uh, uh, about Dominic Cummings, which is equal parts scathing and funny, and uh, you get 500 retweets in, in an hour. It's no longer about Dominic Cummings. It's now your ego you, is pumped. It's like, shit, people um, feel the same way I feel and they're agreeing with me. It, yeah. it, then it fuels your sort of egocentric belief that your, your word is the word and that you have got the right yeah. view and that your say is sovereign. It, it just eggs us on even more. And, and I made note of it because you nailed it so beautifully in the book when you said outrage used to be a way of holding up a mirror to society and saying look at yourselves now it's a way of holding a mirror up to ourselves and saying look at me yeah. and that is exactly it. it is it's kind of going and again it's it, I, I get it as well we've all had that moment where you go oh man i've summed this up in yeah. in, in a tweet this is perfect like yeah. it, it is tweet a buzz send. it is excitement yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's not a you yeah it stops being about the calls and the and the issue at hand, unless you go the route of a Rashford or whoever else who's going, here's the change I want, rather mm. than just sh- share what I've said. One of the weird things that has changed, I mean, l- lockdown has, see- has seen some spooky sh- shit going on, but nothing quite as unusual as I've agreed with Piers Morgan like three times, I think. And that's that. that, that, that is not something I expected to come out of of lockdown and and you talk about peers in the book obviously and you talk to Katie Hopkins which again yeah. was was absolutely f- fascinating um <laughs> but i think peers is kind of switch of who he's 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 going for and supporting and what he's saying is just further proof to the fact that it was always just a performative act a, a outrage for for an income i guess absolutely and look Piers Morgan has figured out media engagement. And, and, I mean, you would hope so. You know, you run newspapers, you figure out how to get people to tune in, how to get people to follow your narrative, how, the, how you get people to kind of attach themselves to, to your dialogue and buy yeah. into what you're saying over the abundance of other options, you know? And I actually see Piers Morgan now being sort of, on the side of he's on the he's the voice of sort of black empowerment and left liberal views and he's he's read the room and he's he's aware that a rebrand in this climate just gives him more engagement he was kind of the mouthpiece of 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 the nhs a few weeks ago he's now the the mouthpiece of 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 black lives matter he was one of the people at the forefront um, of, of the Dominic Cummings um, yeah. debate. 
And it's like, this is the, this is the same person who a few years ago was telling black people that they've already got themselves to blame um, for uh, white people using the N-word. This mm-hmm. is somebody who has deliberately um, provoked communities for engagement. And it says so much, again, about how short-term our memories are and how yeah. ineffectual our outrage is if we're able to turn around and be like, oh, God, look, P- Piers Morgan suddenly kind of voice of reason, man of the people. And I've seen it on my timeline. I've seen people I follow retweeting Piers Morgan saying, wow, never thought I'd see the day, but this is spot on. Or here, here, Piers, never thought you'd be the, 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 the champion of our views. And it's like, no, he is just, he is masterful. Yeah. And that is when I, when I wrote the book, I really started to kind of unpack the outrage industry and how much of our engagement we think is sort of us being autonomous and making decisions mm-hmm. when actually we are just being manipulated uh, time and time and again by, by outrage mongers. And, yeah. and Piers Morgan is one of the great ones. Again, it's, it's, it's prime that, and I mean, the Daily Mail are another one who've had this sudden front page. Like how did we, how did our, our country <laughs> of, of, of caring come to this or whatever bullshit headline that they gave, but they, are a key example alongside peers because they were the kind of first with their online articles to realize that they don't have to say what's right they have to say what will get the most attention so the more outrage that they can cause the more more ad revenue they can get and that is where your peers morgans and your katie hopkins and people like that were born from essentially was going right but it's it's i've previously used x factor as an example which interestingly is in the news a bit at the, at the moment as well. Oh but it, God, it it's, is, yeah. It's, it's, I've never been a big fan of X Factor, but I've always said you've got to respect the business side of it because anytime you go on social media, and this was more a few years back, like when it was at its peak, anytime you'd go on social media when X Factor was on, the people who loved it were all tweeting about it and the people who hated it were all tweeting about it. Yeah the algorithms and whatever else don't care about the context of your tweet. They care that everyone's talking about it. And that's what Piers Morgan has obviously seen and gone, as long as they're talking about me. So it is, is one of them that tweeting Piers Morgan, for example, to say something absolutely horrible to him. It might feel good. It might get some stuff off your chest, Mm. but it's exactly what he wants. It's exactly the point. You're playing his game. It's exactly how he has planned for, for your your puppet to move as such in in that moment. That's, exactly. that's the reason. And so much of our... When we're really, when we're really outraged, I think sometimes we see red um, and we don't realise that what we're actually doing by engaging with that which outrages us is we boost its profile. Mm-hmm. So we've all seen it. You know, something retweeted uh, with a comment above that says, God, what what an awful point of view this is uh, with the view underneath it. Or God, what, what look, at, look at this awful offensive video. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, what you've actually done there is you've boosted the exposure of something you feel should not be exposed. Yeah. And we do this so much. We make the voices we want to silence louder by engaging mm-hmm. with them. We, Katie Hopkins is not Katie Hopkins because of people that agreed with her. Her, she, her fame, her notoriety is 
because of years of provocation and engagement. And that fame has been given to her by people that despise her, people that continue to increase her stock as a quote unquote celebrity by engaging with her. We, We could have killed Katie Hopkins off many, many years ago by not engaging with her. You know, it's it's quite absurd. Like, how many people from The Apprentice do you remember on a first and last name basis? It's madness, isn't Very it? Very few. I remember there was remem- someone called The Badger, but that's I literally, that's a faint memory. <laughs> that's it. But, but, like, first name and surname <laughs> yeah. is, is rare, all yeah. right? I think even a super fan would struggle with 10. But mm. everybody knows Katie Hopkins. Would she have got that by being a nice person? Probably not. How, how was it? to to come face to face as such with her and talk to her f- for the book because on these things you have to you, you have to be aware I mean you talk about it a lot but being aware of your own own biases going in and wanting to approach it you know journalistically how was that to go in to talk to someone like Katie Hopkins and not just call her a prick and hang up and 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 you know what i mean how was that how did, how did it all well, feel? i'll tell you what as soon as i got her phone number the first time i got her phone number there's that kind of you're at that crossroads right the angel devil on your shoulder <laughs> and the devil saying just fucking prank call her yeah. prank call her till kingdom <laughs> comes put her phone number on the internet of course because i'm a human being it's right? arguable if that was the the devil or the angel but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go, go, go ahead. and then <laughs> on the other side um you come from a place of sort of journalistic integrity yeah. and you say, I need, I need to kind of approach this as somebody who wants to not express how I feel t- t- about her because that is, it's ineffectual. Again, I always think that sort of personal interactions are, are part of why our outrage is ineffectual. How I feel about the next person is not going to really impact anything on a global scale, mm. but figuring out un packing the broader uh, issue of outrage mongering is actually a huge benefit moving forward if it if if me kind of peeling the mask off katie hopkins helps people to recognize the signs of an outrage monger then that that is more important than than me and my my personal take on this person but on top of that i've always been a bit cynical about brand katie which is Mm. what i call it I am, I am convinced that she's created a villain. Yeah. And that although she may subscribe to these views now in a sort of method acting gone wrong in that you can't, you probably can't stay in character this long without starting to uh, adopt some of the views. I do believe that she has created a caricature of a right wing bitch, right? Mm. She's created this uh, villain and it has been hugely beneficial to her. So I entered the conversation bearing that in mind and realizing that Katie Hopkins thrives on provoking people. She kind of needs you. She needs to get your back up. That is what her brand is built on. She kind of needs you to find her offensive. Someone like me, a a black woman, Katie Hopkins brand is antagonizing me. So if I can go into that conversation with complete apathy, I've completely disarmed Katie Hopkins. I've devalued you before you've even started to speak. And that is exactly the foot that our, our conversation started off on. And I think yeah. that's why um, people have said to me that have read the book that the Katie Hopkins chapter was their favourite part of the book. 
Yeah, because it's exactly that. It, this is going to sound like a weird comparison, but a, a, when I used to work in record stores, I worked in HMV, and I'd got up to like assistant manager status. I was doing big yeah. things, um, yeah. and and I told all the staff if someone has got a complaint or wants a refund or whatever we can't do send them to me because it became my dr- drug because where I was, I, was, I, was, I was working as well they were quite rude disrespectful to the service industry as is so common in this country um because my drug was to go and be the most polite and kind person in the world as they get more and more angry knowing yeah. that they want you to match that anger because that's what that's what they need that that, yes. that clash so matching the anger with more and more more politeness it it, it, it's amazing and and that was the, the vibe i got off, off your talking with katie was going this is going to feel all the better as, <laughs> yeah. if i don't get angry if i walk away from yeah. this angry i've lost yeah if i walk away from this going all right cool i've won because because <laughs> her point is to cause as you Absolutely. said in exactly you in exactly you if she's created a caricature of the far right whatever else you you are by default the caricature yeah. of if the a enemy. If a gay woman walks away <laughs> unfazed, you've really fucked it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think, I mean, look, meeting anger with kindness is my drug. So I am I'm on yeah. the same page as you. I, I can't get enough of that. Um, but I think that is why, I think that's why the conversation with Katie Hopkins is so revealing. I won't spoil it mm-hmm. for anyone who has yet to, to read it. But I think, yes, I believe the mask slips yeah, in yeah. that conversation, I agree. Um, speaking of masks, can we touch a little bit on R- Rachel Dozel? Because the chapter on Rachel just what a transition. Speaking of masks, <laughs> yeah, talk about the white lady that pretends to be black. Yeah, it, nice, it, it, it kind nice of, egg. It it blew my mind because she comes across at first as completely the delusional, and then I don't know if I'm just ignorant, but because I'm the most skeptical guy, I don't like conspiracy theories, all that. But she starts to put out some fairly legit sounding cover up smokescreen type what stuff. What did you so when you read that, what 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 was your opinion? I was did like, you read that and did you think, fuck, there's a conspiracy here? I'm I, really intrigued to know what you thought. I did, I did, I did, because of the examples of what she was doing in her community and the changes that she was her community. That's a very loose term that, <laughs> look, that look, yeah, she sucked you in. It's a loose term to her, but, <laughs> but I mean in the area that she, that she lived, she was pushing for some law changes that then and some 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 charges of police officers that were then completely ignored. Um and it was interesting like, like when you went on or sh- she pointed it out, but you researched and confirmed the, the, the amount of people who changed their race each year in america yeah why was this one the one that became huge news and huge things and on most of these things i'm a believer in most conspiracy theories can actually be explained by something happens by chance and powerful people exploit that yeah. rather than they've orchestrated this so i think right. what is f- incredibly likely is she blew up online by chance because it was such a bizarre story just to see this news interview and it all just be there for you to see in such a digestible package. But then I think it seems right that it was maybe the 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 flame was f- fanned by people who it was beneficial to fan it and stuff was exploited. Like, How did you feel having that conversation and coming out of it? Because again, another person that you might think you of all people would, would be going yeah. into a conversation yeah. going... What the fuck? <laughs> What's and going on? There was 
there was a little bit of a like what the fuck am I getting myself into moment which I like throughout the book I am very kind of open I kind of throw everything on the page and how I'm feeling you you get to read and see that mm. and I was a bit conflicted going into this conversation with with Rachel Dozel because I was like this is a this is a white woman that pretended to be black that's fucking mental yeah right and yeah. look was this was found out online and just sort of doubled down on her blackness, let's not forget, which is like... And tripled down in her conversation <laughs> with you. Like, I thought she'd... Even when she was speaking to me, she was still very much look, sort of talking about herself as if she were a black woman. Yeah. And there is something quite disarming in that, in that you could be speaking to a fucking psychopath, mm-hmm. right? So I completely... I did wear that a bit um, when I kind of went into the conversation. But I think regardless of what Rachel Dozel represents. And let's let's be honest, she does represent some real real issues. Um I think if we if we really analyze uh, Rachel Dozel, there are there are things in her story which are symptomatic of a broader issue of, of white supremacy, of of black erasure, of of black face. There are all of these issues. Mm-hmm. But in reality, how one woman from Spokane in Washington, a place I have yet to go, probably never will go, how she identifies becoming global news to me is what's fascinating. Not so much in the actual case study of, of a white woman pretending to be black. Yeah. It's more in the mechanic that turned that into a global moment of outrage for a year. It was like over a year and people were still talking about Rachel Dozel. She was still the topic of TV shows. Of, of of documentaries she's been put in songs and for me i went into it with a fascination that transcended my feeling towards her as one as, as a woman and kind of my my desperation really to figure out what on earth happened in mm. this story and what it is in that story that made so many people react and i think that is what makes her her story fascinating more so than just the act of pretending to be black. It's it's so weird, isn't it? Because I think a lot of the time it comes down to what by chance we can r- relate to and comfortably digest. And again, we keep going back to Dominic Cummings, but why not? Like <laughs> Dominic Cummings breaking lockdown was wrong and fucked up. But w- w- where does it come on a scale compared to what you know the sl- slashing of NHS funding that the Tories have been doing for years, and the amount of deaths they will have caused from the slashing of of, of, of disability benefits, and all these other right. things that are far worse. But we're all locked indoors at the moment, and we want to go outside, so yeah. it's directly relatable to go. He went outside, and we can't <laughs> go outside. Yeah. Like it's yeah. nowhere near the other things that the Tories have done, even j- just on a pure health. A related basis the amount of deaths the amount of impact but it's relatable and it's comfortable to digest it's uncomfortable to try and think well x amount of people have died how many of them would have died anyway how many wouldn't how many is it down to to funding and and you know is it their fault they have to cut the fund and all these other things that can get confusing whereas we can look at a man who went outside when he shouldn't and we can understand it and get outraged absolutely and I think it's it's like you say it's all it's all relative. Sometimes things are uh, just a product of the time. Sometimes it's uh, an issue that is just specific to one particular group. And I may not see the outrage in that, but to you as 
a, a Millwall fan, you might be really outraged by this West Ham thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I, I have no idea. I don't. It doesn't really impact me. It's out, outrage is relative. So it's kind of impossible to police outrage with any sort of objective scale. Mm. Which is why I say this book isn't about policing outrage and saying don't be outraged about that. Be outraged about this. It's more about saying, look, pick, choose what means something to you and then be purposeful in your outrage. Again, it feels weird to keep interrupting someone to quote them, but you put it in (laughs) another way that you just simply put in the book, we don't need to care less or we need to care better. You know, and it's true. We need to care more effectively. It's not about not being angry. So the, the wrath of the retweet, a chapter was really interesting because it's a fascinating look at groupthink and our tendencies to back a hashtag rather than, f- than form a decision. And it's, it's something I spoke recently. I spoke to a professor in America and a doctor in 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 the UK at, at the University of, of Greenwich about the hashtag defund the police. And it's one that after I'd spoken to them both and done this specialist episode of the podcast, it was like right. It's far more complex than the hashtag suggests. And mm. I think, undoubtedly, it's the right ch- choice. But I can see how... It sounds crazy in a hashtag, though, doesn't it? Exactly. But again, the, the valid argument is you can't chant, deconstruct, rebuild, re- yeah. redistribute the money into different areas of social care to prevent crime rather than just police it and yeah. then rebuild a police without the backing of the unions yeah. and the history of racism... Defund the police fits that, in a yeah, hashtag and as a tweet. That doesn't fit on a T-shirt, do you know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, and that's kind of, we have to simplify our ambition at times. We need to kind of simplify it. Yeah. And that's at times where the ambition is lost because the sentiment is sometimes lost, you know? You can't say black lives matter, but I get it, all lives matter, but right now we need to talk about black lives mattering because the world seems to have forgotten. That doesn't yeah. fit. Yeah. So it becomes black lives matter or it becomes defund the police and then suddenly people start to take issue with with that political statement and it's like well no it's it's so much more than this and that throws up a whole other issue that we talk about in the book as well which is when people get outraged by headlines yeah before they've even read the article um which is is a whole other thing completely but it relates perfectly to the to the hashtag kind of thing because another example of that i talk about all the time is is white privilege is something Mm. that is undeniable and true but they picked a shit name for it because you get all these working class white people who go i'm not privileged i'm not privileged and as i say all the time because i really think it doesn't (laughs) you can't say enough white privilege isn't saying you've had it easy it's just saying that the things have been that have been against you haven't been based on the color of your skin exactly that's undeniable you shouldn't feel uncomfortable with that (laughs) it's perfectly reasonable but whilst we shouldn't get angry because there'll be a, a lot of people nodding their heads here going, yeah, you shouldn't get angry about it until you um, have re- re- read what it actually means, read the idea behind the movement, look deeper. And I'm going to flip it on all those people now because I guarantee some of them have retweeted something that sounds cool and not mm. really known the full story behind it. It comes to the idea of, you know, we've all been in conversations where someone will use a word that we don't know and we'll kind of go... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Rather than say, what does that mean? But yeah. I think that's something we need to become more conscious of. I think we've great at, we're great at policing our opposition, but not ourselves. So we're great at saying, 
you should have looked into what white privilege means or defund the police means or Black yeah. Lives Matter means. But we're not so good at looking at ourselves and going, I retweeted that, that or, 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 or even I shared that multi-post Instagram post and I only yeah. actually read the first two of them and there was 10. Yeah. There was 10 I could have scrolled through, but I shared it because the first two seemed legit. You know, yeah. the, the next eight could have been abhorrent, just horrible <laughs> shit. But we've looked at the first two and gone, people need to hear this and they, yeah. and they need to hear it from me. And absolutely, it's a, it's a problem, right? I think, look, we need to be we need to be more diligent in our outrage. And we also need to be more vigilant in our outrage because not everything requires our outrage. We don't need to put our two pence in every single time. We have so much more control, uh, as I said earlier, than we give ourselves credit for. Mm. And it's time to to channel that control and, and use it to effect real, real tangible change. Completely. I think we get caught up in the same thing the media get caught up. So six years ago, I had a group on this podcast called Full Fact Org, And they were just starting out at that point And they would fact check every speech that went out by a politician. They'd fact check every qu- qu- question time. And they'd live tweet it, say, here's what they've said. Here's here's the truth behind it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's, it's we said at that point, I wish there was a, a newspaper just called Yesterday's News that isn't the fastest, but it's, the, it's actually the most accurate. And again, I think that's something that... We look at the media and say that they they jump for a headline and they jump to get on stuff, but we do it as well. We want to be at the forefront of the wave of retweeting that that video that goes viral. We want to be the first to do it rather than going, let's look I mean, into it. This look, this the motto or the slogan for social media should be flipping speed, not facts. Yeah. Because it's all about <laughs> yeah. who can be the fastest, not yeah. who can be the most factual, yeah. which is why we often end up with egg on our faces. And quite often when we get outraged, you know, we're outraged by something um, or we have this huge view on something uh, based on a sort of a knee-jerk reaction. Um, we've given ourselves no room to actually digest any information. We've just rushed to a point of view. And then more information emerges 24 hours later <laughs> and you know, you, you look back on your on your post with with embarrassment because it was it was about speed, not facts, yeah. um, and that's often why we end up in this sort of cul-de-sac of outrage, where you know we're outraged, but then we, we've we've realised, oh shit, maybe I haven't, I didn't need to be this outraged, but there's no way out. So you sort of you just double down, you yeah. know, on on your um, slightly off colour views. And we need to get more comfortable with being educated as well, right? Like if we say something wrong and someone corrects us and educates us, that should be a good thing. Again, we We shouldn't be so defensive and go, well, well, no, well, technically. It's like, no, if you got it wrong and someone calls you out, you should, you need more comfort in that. We need to normalise learning something new and then changing our opinion, I think. How how can we, uh, with our current political system, (laughs) politics has been... Built on never admitting that you that you were wrong and that you learned yeah. something different. It's keep digging. It's so Just tough. keep keep digging. I'll wrap things up now. Uh, the book <laughs> is is it out July 9th? Ninth of July. Ninth of July, and people can follow you on socials. You've got your Radio One Extra show and your uh, Too Rude for the Radio podcast. So yes, uh, so book out ninth of July. Available to pre-order before that. Grab a copy and um, let me know what you think. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time and your selective outrage. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was episode 331. I've realised recently that during lockdown, I've kind of drifted back to these podcasts being front-weighted rather than than back-weighted. Remember I used to do a kind of a short intro? I moved to doing a short intro and a longer outro. Well, essentially that stopped because I'm just not plugging anything anymore. The reason for moving everything into the outro was to plug things there. But I ain't plugging shit. I can't. It's the world's a mess, man. Uh, the last thing on my mind is p- plugging shit. So the, I've putting everything in the intro now because it's all all I'm talking about is stuff that's relevant to what you're about to hear. Um, so yeah, I hope that makes sense, and I hope it isn't annoying anyone too much. Um, as said, I recommend you get watching. I may destroy you ahead of next week's episode with Papa Sa Adu because it's it's fantastic. Um, at present, as I record this, I'm up to episode four. And yeah, I've been just so blown away by all of it. It's amazing. Yes. Thank you for tuning in. Um, let's give a, sh- a shout out to Buddy Peace, uh, my producer and the producer of the Films to Be Buried With podcast and numerous others, host of his own podcast, Buddy's Buddies. Because yeah, it's hard work for producers in lockdown because normally I'm sitting in a room with people and I have control over the good mics and all these other things. Whereas now we're doing them over Zoom. We're trying to get people to record on the other end, but we've not got any real control over what the quality of their recording on the other end is, or if they're in an echoey room or in a non-echoey room, or if they're outside or inside, or if they've got car noises or whatever else. So um, shout out to Buddy Peace for continuing to make these sound dope. A little bit of that is me knowing that I fucked up on next week's episode. Um, so all we've got to work with is the Zoom recording. But it sounds dope. He started working on it already, and it sounds it sounds amazing. But yeah, I'm, I'm aware that that was my fuck up. For, for the first time in six years, or second time, I guess, in six years of recording this podcast, um, I don't know what happened. I pressed the wrong buttons, and I didn't record my end. So I always record the Zoom as a backup. On separate chat, this is boring, but on separate channels you've got an option on zoom to record the guests vocal and my vocal on separate channels so he can still work on that stuff but it's not what it's not ideal for the lad i'll tell you that but yeah boom thank you for tuning in this has been distraction pieces podcast episode 331 with ashley dotty charles and her book outrage out next week um but available to pre-order now and uh, with most of these these books and that if you pre-order it it comes a little bit early anyway um support your local bookstores and your smaller bookstores they need you more than ever right now so try not to order on amazon i know it's easier but um there's loads of good book options online that support independent bookstores so do that put that extra effort in you've got time it's a lockdown all right See you later. Ciao, ciao.